servant, do what you must do to make me a servant, make me like you. Hello and welcome to Counsel from Above, your place to ask your questions that you wish a counselor would answer. My name is Nathan Honeycutt, licensed professional counselor, minister of the Churches of Christ, getting an opportunity today to sit down with three questions that have been asked of me related to the subject of parenting, a subject that I get asked a lot and uh, get requests about many times. And so I've got three questions today specifically related to parenting and relationships. And so uh, let's dive right into it. Question number one comes from Lyle from Tennessee. His question how can parents that have two different disciplinary styles and different views on what should be disciplined come together to rear their children? Wow, that's a great question because many times as parents, we are asked to work together to lead, guide, direct our kids. And sometimes there is a difference in how we were raised, how we uh, consider ourselves, what we want to happen, what we don't want to happen. And oftentimes those conversations don't actually occur until children come around. And then it's like, oh no, what do we do now? So as we think about this question, I want to begin by thinking about the idea of the styles of discipline. I'm not sure that the style of discipline really matters. You think about our culture and our world. Uh, for some, they believe that uh, spanking is the way uh, to perform uh, punishment. Others are more of a timeout. Some other ones are natural consequences. I don't know the list goes. And so... I don't know that style really matters because we think about God, our Father, in the way He disciplines. And you think about it, He has different disciplinary styles. Sometimes there's corporal punishment. I think of Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu, who rains fire down from heaven uh, in a form of punishment. Uh, that was pretty corporal, pretty, pretty instant. Uh, others, we may think about like more natural consequences. I think about like the prodigal son. As he went away, spent all his money, that he had to start managing things and ultimately found himself uh, feeding pigs. Uh, that's kind of a natural consequence of him uh, squandering all of his money. I think of God uh, also kind of thinking about uh, like a timeout. You know, we think about uh, Psalms 23 and verse 2. Uh, he maketh me lie down to green pastures. Sometimes God just says, hey, look, sit down. And so when we think about the styles of discipline, I'm not sure that it matters a whole lot, but what seems to make the biggest difference of all when it comes to discipline is the idea of consistency. Uh, there's a statement that is called meta rules. Meta rules are where in a family or in a connection that the rules constantly change. One day this is wrong, but the next day it isn't wrong. And so as, as children, it's hard to know where the line is of right and wrong. It's hard to know when you will or will not get in trouble. And so oftentimes this, this lack of consistency causes more problems and heartache and difficulty within families more than anything, even more than like the style. You may have one parent that spanks another one that does time out. As long as they're consistent, it doesn't really matter which one it is. Because when we think about consistency, what's wrong today needs to be wrong tomorrow. What's, what's wrong for one parent needs to be wrong for the other parent. And so when it comes to consistency, when it comes to a parent unit saying and leading the children, they have to be on the same page. So when you think about parents uh, being consistent, here's three things to think about. Number one, you have to agree on what the rules are. You have to agree that here's the right and here's the wrong in our family. Here's the direction we're going to lead. Here's the things that we're going to do. Secondly, you have to be able to agree what are the consequences if those rules are broken. 
You may have set type things. If our child does this, then we're going to agree this is the punishment. There may be times, and again, kids are like all over the place. So sometimes they do something we didn't even anticipate them doing. So therefore, those two parents have to sit down together and be able to say, hey, you and I are going to talk together and find out where's our consistent answer to that. What is going to be the consequence of that particular choice? And by then making that decision, by choosing to do that, then all of a sudden, these kids are now being taught and led, knowing that this is right and this is wrong, and thus they are able to be guided and led in the way that they ought to be. The third thing I think about is you have to agree to work together in making decisions together. There has to be a, a unity within the unit, their parents, and they, we have to be able to, to not put one as a disciplinarian and one's a nice person or, or one this or one that. In, instead, parenting is about uniting together to actually be the adults in the room that actually act like adults. That's what the parents are supposed to be. That's what you and I are supposed to have in our world. You and I are supposed to, as parents, to be able to work together to converse, to talk about, to have conversations, to have many conversations, to be able to talk together and present our thoughts, to present our ideas. And once those ideas are presented, we then begin to compromise to be able to find how are we going to find our agreement? How are we going to lead our children together? And as you do that, that consistency is what guides and directs the children, not the form of punishment, not the style in which someone, but instead the consistency that says this is right and this is wrong. The consistency that says this is what you can do, this is what you can't do. And so when we think about our styles, I would like us to think less about which style we choose and more about how are we going to stay consistent between parents, between these decisions, so that our kids know exactly what is right, what is wrong, and what happens when that line is crossed. And I think that's what brings us together more as parents and leading our children. Lyle, thank you for the question. It's a wonderful question. Second one I've been asked, this comes from Jeremy. Jeremy says, what does God intend for parents to do to help their teenage or college-age children choose a potential spouse? In addition to that, how old should they be when you begin to teach them what to look for in a future husband or wife? Well, Jeremy, you got a twofer there, so you got two questions in for one. I appreciate the questions. Let's start with a second one first. When should we start training, teaching, educating our children on who to look for, uh, look, look for in a spouse? Uh, so when, uh, like yesterday, <laughs> when we think about when should we be teaching and training our children what to look for, it, the rule of thumb is, is when they start thinking, looking, having an interest, they need to have a standard in place. They need to know what to look for when they start looking. If you and I know, and we get this idea, especially right now, this is June and middle of summer, and, and I love watermelons. And, and, I, and I love to find that watermelon that has the, the right amount of sweet, the right amount of juices, the right, all of those particular things. But if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to find it. You're going to find that mealy watermelon that nobody likes to eat. But it's the same thing when I'm looking for a spouse. I got to know what to look for long before I ever start looking. I have to know what am I looking at? What do I want in that standard long before I ever walk through that door? When should we be teaching them? When as early as possible. Start talking about maybe the, the attributes that your spouse has. 
that says, man, I really like this about this person. This is something that I always appreciate. And having those conversations as early as possible so that they can have that in mind from the beginning. But then the second, the first question, I, I think about this question, and the question is, is as our kids get older, what do we do now? I have, I have an 18-year-old son. I have a 14-year-old son right now. And, and I think about what, what do they need to know as they've gotten to this age? And, and here's, a, here's a thought that kind of came to my mind, Jeremy, as you provided this. And that is, what has God told us? What does God say you and I should look for in our mate? Well, if you're looking for a young lady, then you would obviously go to Proverbs 31. And you would read Proverbs 31 because God says, here's a virtuous woman. Here's, here's a godly woman. Here's the woman you want to go look for. And so for all the men in the world, it's the easiest thing in the world. You go to Proverbs 31, you look at Proverbs 31. This is what God says ought to be the characteristics of the person that you pick. So we're given that standard as men saying, here, here's what God would want you to look for. But then the other side is like, well, where do the, where do the girls go for their list? I mean, the guy's got it easy. Proverbs 31, there it is. Boop, there it is, done. But what about, what about for us? What about girls? Where do you find the, the list of what, what a man ought to look like? Well, let me throw one outside the box for you here. How about 1 Timothy 3? Oh, I realize 1 Timothy 3 are the qualifications for an elder and then also for a deacon. But if you go look at that list again, there's not much on that list that all Christian men shouldn't have. You know, of course, to be a Christian man, I don't necessarily need to be married. So you kind of set that one aside. But when you think about, if I'm a young lady looking for a man, what kind, I would want a man who would qualify here because this is what God says, I want leading my church. This, this is who I want leading and guiding and directing my church. And if, and if that's what God's looking for, if God says, here's the standard, here's what I'm looking for to lead my church, why would I want that person to lead my family? Why wouldn't I want that person to be my spouse and to be the leader of my children? So when we think about uh, God's intent for us parents in teaching and presenting, it's about helping them know God's standard of our mate. And thus, we talk to them about Proverbs 31. We talked about them about 1 Timothy chapter 3. We talk about, here's the things you're looking for. Here's the things you're looking to be. And as our kids get older, we're wanting to continue to help them remember, this is the standard. These are things. Now, there's nuances. There's things that you might like that, that are outside of this. There, there may be things that, that maybe you expect or want as a standard that maybe is in addition to what God has already provided. Here's the thing as parents, and I think this is going to be the biggest trick for us as parents, that is helping our kids in a moment of clarity, in a moment of understanding, in a moment where they are clear thinking, help them set up a standard, a list requirements of what it takes to be married to me and hold to that standard. Because Satan and the world are going to be beating on these kids and beating on us and saying, well, no one's like that or yet can't be found or this and this or that. And as parents, it's our, I think, responsibility oftentimes to teach and to help them know that this standard is still a good standard. God, God still may have somebody perfect for us. We we have to hold to what his standard is instead of us compromising that because Satan says, ah, they're not out there. You can't find them. And so as parents, I think it's our job to help them find a standard, teach them that standard, 
and hold to that standard even when Satan is trying to tell them, ah, no, no one like that out there. Thanks, Jeremy, for the question. I appreciate it. So our third and final question is an anonymous question. They asked to remain anonymous. And I respect that. I appreciate that. And so here's their question. They said, how do you handle the situation of your kids asking their friends slash boyfriends to come to church and wanting them to come, but how do you handle slash answer when their friends, boyfriends, ask them to go to church with them at another denomination? Well, I appreciate this question. This is a question that I have uh, been thinking about and considering for, for a long time with my boys kind of always being ones to invite and bring people in. Well, what do, I, what do we do whenever someone's inviting them? Well, I think the answer actually is found in John chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. John chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. It says, the woman, this is a Samaritan woman, talking to, talking to Jesus, said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let me ask an odd question. What's the purpose of Sunday worship? What's, what's the reason that we worship on Sunday? Well, we know the obvious answer is we're worshiping God. It's because that's the Lord's day. That's the day that God has set aside that we are to focus our thinking, focus our thoughts to worship Him. And God says, that when you come to worship me, you do it in spirit and in truth. You do it with the right thinking, the right mind, but you also do it the right way. You do it the way that I want it done is what God said. And so when we approach God to worship him, we need to be in a place that is accepting that worship from God, that, that a place that is providing a worship that God says, I'm okay with it. Because that's what Sunday's about. Sunday's about worshiping God. It's about giving to God our best, our worship, our thinking, our mind, our ideas. Uh, unfortunately, our uh, Sunday's kind of been turned, our, our worship service has turned more into a social gathering, a, 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 an event, a, a concert to some degree, in, in which it's about people and about being sociable and about doing all these things, and that becomes what the focus is. See, that's not the way to God. See, God's, God does not design this or develop this as a social aspect. Oh, do not get me wrong. There are absolutely social aspects related to worship without a shadow of a doubt. And the reality is you think about our acts of worship. Many of them are not only for God, but also for ourselves. It's about benefiting us, but it's also about benefiting God, benefiting one another. We sing songs, hymns, spiritual songs, singing praise to with one another. But the reality is, is that our worship is ultimately about God. And, and as a parent, no matter what the request is, no matter what the idea is, as a parent, our responsibility is to help our children worship God in spirit and in truth, to, to live a godly life 
seven days a week. And when Sunday comes, us as parents, we're focused on wanting to provide God our best worship, but then also help our children provide their best worship. So when we have people inviting us or inviting someone to attend an assembly, the question is, is does that assembly present a worship that God accepts? Are they presenting a worship that presents God's message in spirit and in truth? If they are not doing that, then we're missing the point that God has made for our worship on a Sunday. If this other location is a location that is preaching and teaching in spirit and in truth and providing a worship that is acceptable by God, then goodness, go for it. But if they're presenting a worship that is strange, unaccepted, not allowed by God, then why would I want my child to miss an opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth only to attend someplace where it's not there? What are we teaching our children if we say, go ahead and attend someplace that is a social event that is not presenting a worship spirit and in truth versus going to a congregation or going to a group that is worshiping in spirit and in truth? Now, here's the other great thing that I think comes with that. Let's say you and I make that decision. And someone, Billy, Bob, George, friend, whoever it might be, asks and says, hey, I would like for your child to go to worship with us. And then you begin to ask questions about their worship. Uh, well, when you, when you think about your worship, well, does it have this? Does this happen? What about this? And you begin to say, well, according to the Bible, this is what God expects from our worship. What have you done? You've started a Bible study. Woohoo! Say, thank you. It gives you the opportunity that when you begin to ask a question, you begin to say, well, how does this fit with the Bible? How does Because now you may be presenting Bible and verses and things that they've never considered in their life. But because you had the guts to say, I want to make sure my kid is worshiping in spirit and in truth, they now have an opportunity to say, well, this is why we do this. This is, this is what we do. This is the thinking. This is the idea. And in that reality, now you have a chance to sit down with God's word, to sit down with somebody else and be able to complete the Great Commission and present, here's what God wants from our worship. And it's not about man. It's not about what we think. It's not about a social gathering. But instead, God's worship is about him doing it in spirit and in truth. And on top of that, when your child looks and says, hey, Billy Bob George or whoever it might be is saying, hey, I'd like you to come to worship. Your child's going to go, wait a second. Do you all do this? What about this? What about that? Now, all of a sudden, your child now is getting involved in a Bible study. Your child is now using God's word to determine whether or not this place is going to be providing a worship that's acceptable by God. Wow. Talk about a win-win. This question is an extremely hard question. But I think it begins to get easier when you and I see the true purpose to a worship service. We're there to worship God. If God's not there, neither should we. Man, I am so thankful for you listening to this and considering these questions along with me. I love to hear your feedback, love to hear your things that you might have. Join us on our Facebook page, A Council From Above podcast. Jump on there, give us some questions, give us some thoughts. Right now, I'll tell you, I'm low, running low on questions. I have very few questions left. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to continue to do this a whole lot longer without making up my own questions. 
So if you have questions, please send them to me. Send it to counselfromabove at gmail.com. That's counselfromabove at gmail.com. You can also catch us on Twitter at counselfromabove. Just leave the E off at the end. And hey, send me those questions. Let me know how you think about this. Give me some feedback. Would love to have that opportunity. As of right now, next episode, episode number three, podcast will be presented on July the 25th. Episode three, podcast will be on July the 25th, 2022. And the subject will be taking care of self. Taking care of ourselves so that we can help take care of others. Hey, thank you for your time. Appreciate you being with me as we continue to consider God's word, God's message, and what God would want us to know as you and I gain counsel from above.